History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. spectacular people welcome to this 397th episode of the history goes bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i'm your host diane and this is kelly kelly we have a special treat for everybody on this episode we know people absolutely love new orleans we're going to take you into the heart of it with our favorite tour guide we've ever been on a ghost tour with and that is cedric everybody's going to love this episode i am sure of it I wasn't sure what to title this because we're not sticking to one specific location. So it's Ghost Hunting New Orleans and Beyond, which means we're going to be talking about several haunted locations in New Orleans and some other places as well. Very exciting. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Rodney, Justin, Jennifer, Courtney, Jeffrey, Shannon, and Eva. Thank you for joining us in our Facebook group. And now this moment in oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Scott Booker and Paula Mitchell. The Titan Arum is most famously known as the corpse flower and first became known to the world in 1878. It is thought to be the world's largest flower and it is most definitely the stinkiest. This is a tropical plant that is native to the rainforests of Sumatra, Indonesia. The corpse flower starts as a bulb that likes lots of water and to stay above 60 degrees Fahrenheit. The nickname comes from its foul stench it exudes that is similar to rotting meat. The plant gives us off to attract nighttime pollinators like sweat bees, flesh flies, and carrion beetles. The Huntington Library, Art Museum, and Botanical Gardens in California has several plants that it brings out on occasion so everyone can enjoy seeing a very rare sight. There is no predicting when these flowers will bloom. One of these corpse flowers recently caught some attention in May of 2021. A gardener named Solomon Leva lives in Alameda, California, and he raises succulents and rare plants, one of which was a corpse flower. He noticed one day that a stalk had shot up, and he knew that soon the flower would bloom. He decided he wanted to share this delight with people, particularly because of the COVID pandemic. He loaded the huge plant onto a wagon and wheeled it through town. He found a patch of asphalt in front of an abandoned gas station and offloaded the plant for people to come see. It was quite a treat since this only happens every few years and the bloom only lasts for a couple of days. It really is quite beautiful and extraordinary, but it certainly is odd. You're not afraid of a little ghost, are you? And now, this month in history. month of August on the 3rd in 1905, elder rights activist Maggie Kuhn was born. 
Kuhn was born in Buffalo, New York, and she never fit into the social norms of her time when it came to women. She began her social activism in the 1930s, and she started teaching some controversial stuff at the YWCA. This included unionizing and women's issues, and then she really pushed the limits by starting a human sexuality course that discussed mechanics, birth control, pregnancy, and she also promoted that being single was okay in a society that pushed marriage. But her real claim to fame came when she hit the age of 65 and was forced to retire. In 1970, there was a mandatory retirement law. Kuhn was so angry, she formed the Grey Panthers. Their motto was age and youth in action. This was because they welcomed teenagers into their movement to help with the activism. The group advocated for nursing home reform and fought ageism. She died in 1995 at the ripe old age of 89. One thing History Goes Bump knows is ghost tours. We've been joined by several tour guides on the podcast, and on this episode, we are joined by our favorite, Cedric. Cedric has served our country in the military, worked as a firefighter and medic, and founded a company creating leather craft for movies. He and his wife, Evie, are also tour guides in New Orleans, and he is an amazing storyteller. On top of that, Cedric and Evie have their own paranormal investigation group called NOPE. Cedric joins us to share his techniques and experiences while ghost hunting and to talk about some of the haunts in New Orleans, particularly in the French Quarter. Join us as we discuss ghost hunting, New Orleans, and beyond. Well, we are so excited to be joined by Kelly. I would say this is our favorite tour guide we've ever had. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. This is Cedric Whitaker. He is out of New Orleans, and he also heads up the paranormal investigation group NOPE. And Kelly, do you want to tell everybody what that stands for? New Orleans Paranormal Explorers. Is that correct, Cedric? You got it. Yes, I got it right. (laughs) Well, the first thing we always like to ask people is what got you into the paranormal to begin with? When I was approximately about eight years old, my grandmother, my nanny, was killed by a drunk driver. She spent a couple days, you know, languishing in the hospital from what I remember. And then she passed away. And I was not in a position, for whatever reason, to get to go to the funeral. So I was a very angry little eight-year-old because I was real close with my nanny. And three days after the funeral, she showed up in my mother's living room just as solid as anybody else standing there. Wow. Um, told me that she was fine, that she wasn't hurting anymore. She was, she was better in a better place, that she would always love me and she'd always look out for me and then disappeared. So in the mind of an eight-year-old... It wasn't something to be afraid of. It was what happened to Nanny. And being back in that time period, you know, way before the age of the Internet, that I did everything I could to get every book I could get my hands on to try and study, okay, what happens after we die? And one of the things I figured out through the years is there's a lot of holes in that question. There's no real definitive answer to that question. And I wanted to be a part of those of us that go out there trying to find those answers. I feel like we're real kindred spirits with you because we kind of come at the paranormal like you do. We're those open-minded skeptics, but we Mm -hmm. also have these scientific minds. And we ask these questions all the time on the podcast about, you know, when people say they're touched by a spirit, how does that happen? And you ask those same kinds of questions. You want to understand, how is that happening? How are they manipulating things? 
How are people coming back? What is a ghost? Exactly. And one of the and one of the big reasons why I investigate and why I run into the dark and chase things that most people that are of sound mind don't even want to acknowledge exist is because one, I want those answers, but two, it's also for the people out there who are experiencing these phenomenon who have nobody to contact, who don't have anybody to reach out to, who's willing to listen to them and figure out, okay, are we dealing with something paranormal or are we dealing with something that has a very logical, reasonable explanation? But since it's an unknown, when we bring it into the light to say, okay, look, here's why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. Oh, it's not scary anymore. That's, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. When did you start investigating? Officially, been about, I want to say, whew, 25, 26 years ago doing a lot of paranormal investigating on my own. Keep in mind, I'm sure you guys are the same way. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was no TV shows. We didn't have the, you know, the ghost adventures and ghost hunters and, and the plethora of shows bringing the paranormal into the mainstream and made it where, oh, it's cool to go chase ghosts. We were still dealing with a lot of the, you don't talk about that in public. You, you know, if you talk about that, people are going to think you're crazy or they're going to make fun of you. And, you know, all the people building teams and stuff like that wasn't around yet. So a lot of the investigations and stuff I was doing on my own was everywhere and anywhere that I could where you could kind of, I was lucky enough that at the time my dad was a fire chief. So I got to know the law enforcement officers in my hometown and with a lot of the law enforcement officers, once you get to know them and they're comfortable with you, you can start hearing the stories that they're not willing to let just anybody hear. And law enforcement is one of the best source of haunting information you can get your hands on if you can get them to talk. Yeah, I would imagine so. Very, very cool. It was pretty taboo back in the in the day. <laughs> yeah, basically yeah, we had uh, In Search Of and Unsolved Mysteries, but do, none of in that In Search was Of like, is a... Dude, I still get chills when I win that, that <laughs> the music. intro song. Yeah, it's just like, yes. oh, okay, I'm 10 again. Here we go. You know, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think it even occurred to us back then that you could try to communicate. I mean, we knew that people would do these things like seances or mess around with Ouija boards and stuff, but we didn't know you could use these other tools or even yourself to try to communicate with the spirit world. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even just some of the stuff, it's one of the things I've, I've told a lot of my guests who come on the tour or go on investigations with us. It's been interesting to watch because a lot of the tools that the new people coming into investigating and ghost hunting, the tools they now consider are everyday tools. We were there watching and when I wonder if this will work. I wonder if this will work. And there was no ghost hunting tools. We were taking stuff from electricians. We were taking, you know, you know, real, not real to real, but a uh, tape player tapes. Yes. And trying, trying to work to see if we could make this, you know, make this work because, okay, if we go on the principle that spirits are energy, let's figure out how we can record this energy and these phenomena. So it's been interesting. And I, I hazard to say it's been fun to watch the leaps and the bounds that we can do. And now to what we have today in 2021, where every single one of us is walking around with a mobile computer in our back pocket. Yeah, exactly. The progression was just really rapid once it started taking off. And I think, and I mean, as much as people want to throw shade on the TV shows, I think those shows did a lot to open up the gateways and the doors for us to be more mainstream, but to be more accepted in 
what we're doing. We're still doing that uphill fight, but now you have more mainstream scientists and intellectuals who are willing to listen to the, the evidence we got when we bring it to them, when we're using the scientific method or whatever, and say, okay, explain this one to me because I have no clue what we just experienced. And I think it also helps, too, because there was a lot of locations, if they had ghost activity or weird things happening there, it was real hush-hush. And if you asked questions, they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have anything going on here. And now you have so many places that actually promote that and say, yeah, we have ghosts. Come on in. This is the room you're going to want to stay in, and we're going to charge you more for it. Yeah, don't forget, (laughs) I live in New Orleans. We're the capital of that. I mean, that even also to the, to the same, that same point goes all the way to the other end of that point because now you've got people who want to have a haunted location and I've heard of incidents where people running into places that, that you know, they say they're haunted and yet we can't find any evidence whatsoever of the historical background of what they're claiming. Sure. So, you know, we're going to be dealing with that as well, but I would much rather deal with having to worry about finding a false place that keeps us as investigators on our toes than having all those doors shut down for us so we don't even get a chance to go in and, you know, investigate the Bobby Mackeys and the Queen Marys and, and all those kind of places. So when did you start your investigation group and how did you grow it and what kinds of places have you been to? Well, originally, my lovely wife, Evie, and I, we got together. Uh, we were part of the basically the burner community in Texas. And when I was still in the fire department at the time. And we got together. Both of us came from backgrounds with, you know, one, a love of the paranormal, and two, that burning question of what, what is out there. And so as soon as we got together, officially, our you know, one of the first very big teams we ever made up was Texas Paranormal there in Texas. And we had the Austin branch. We were living just outside Austin at the time. We hunted all over Texas, got a chance to hunt the Alamo, got a chance at the you know, the Minger Hotel, the Anston Opera House, uh, stuff like that, like I said, all over Tech, Dead Man's Hall. And then when I left the department and started my own company, Airship Isabella, when we started building props and costumes for the TV and movie industry, the universe decided that we needed to be in New Orleans. And that was 15 years ago. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, somewhere around there. As a the group that was together as Airship Isabella, our my you know, my my leather workers and stuff like that, our our costuming guys, we had put paranormal investigations, you know, kinda off because it was we were doing everything, you know, just trying to get the company off the ground and operational. And then we decided, you know, hey, you know, we haven't investigated in a while, we haven't gone out and gone hunting or anything. And my guys were like, wait, one minute, we can go hunt stuff. We're like, yeah, let's go. So here comes the team. So we've had members leave and, and come, but you know, right now the core group is myself and EV and Josh and Otter. And then we've got guys with, we got, I've got some new stuff that you guys haven't even got a chance to hear about that we're going to be doing with legendary walking tours that the team is getting ready to grow. And we now are looking at having a base of operation in a hunt in, the, in a haunted building where we'll be no headquarters. But we've done cool. stuff out to California, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, going the other direction out to Bobby Mackey's and Waverly Hills. And this September, mm-hmm. we'll be up in um, Gettysburg doing some stuff up in Pennsylvania and hopefully very quietly, you know, out on the battlefield at Gettysburg getting to do some investigations out there and in the town of Gettysburg. Oh, so jealous. I have not been to Gettysburg yet and I really want to go. I got. I was lucky enough that um, we put together a union unit to do the 150th reenactment out on the battlefield, 
And I tell people when I talk about it, that was a life-changing event. To be there 150 years after the event on the site where so many young men lost their lives, and then to be reenacting it, you could feel them there. There was, there's more than one incident that incident I could talk about, but there was, we were reenacting the woods battle and I was starting to have a PTSD issue. And all of a sudden there was a hand on my shoulder with a very overwhelming, very calm, you're okay. And I turned to look over my shoulder to see who was standing there. There was nobody there. So I know in my heart of hearts that I like, you, you can hear it in my voice. I still get emotional over, it. um, one of those soldiers walked up and put his hand on my shoulder and told me it was okay. Uh, but it was intense. You ever get a chance to go out to Gettysburg, it's just be ready. It's a punch in the gut. It's intense. I can imagine. And we didn't really talk about your background. So why don't you share with everybody why that was so meaningful to you? Because you served in the military before you were a firefighter. Yep. I was a proud member of the United States Army, left the Army, went Uh, straight into the fire department, spent many years on the fire department as a firefighter medic, and then left the department to start my own company. But yeah, I really, you know, there's a lot of my military background and stuff like that. I just don't really talk about with anybody. My wife, my wife knows it, but that's just kind of a a dark past that I leave behind me. It's kind of the way I deal with it. Sure. And that's one of those things that makes me wonder how that spirit knew what you were going through. It, it, it's just one of those things we'll never understand and probably never get the answer to that. But he knew something about you that you weren't putting out there verbally and that kind of thing. He understood. Yeah. And that opens and like you said, that opens up a whole line of dialogue and questions on how, you know, what, where, what is this connection? We know there's a connection amongst all human beings. Does that connection continue and get stronger once we cross you know, over? There's just a plethora of questions that opens up that is the reason we all go running around and go hunt things that go bump in the night. Exactly. You know, how, how long has that spirit been there? Does he come in and out? Did he just show up because you needed him? Did he just happen to be there? All those questions. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. We absolutely love our HelloFresh. It comes every single week. We have our deliveries on Monday. You open up the box. All the ingredients are pre-measured. You have mouth-watering seasonal recipes in there, so you don't have to worry about heading out to the grocery store or figuring out what you're going to make for the week. It's so convenient. I absolutely love it. And you know, for you and I, Kelly, we try to watch our calories a bit. As you get older, it's a little harder to keep that weight down. HelloFresh's calorie smart options make it easier to enjoy tasty, lower calorie meals during the summer. There are 50 menu and market items to choose from each week. Usually what they do is you choose kind of what grouping you want to be in, but you can always switch to something else. We're in meat and vegetables, but we sometimes choose something that's vegan. We avoid pork, so we always take that out and put something else in. You're totally free to individualize it any way you want. And it's called HelloFresh because those ingredients are fresh. It's not some pre-packaged kind of deal or anything like that. You're getting fresh veggies and fruits and such. And I love the fact that everything's measured out so there's no waste. You're not buying random ingredients that you wouldn't normally be using on a regular basis and then just having it go to waste. Everything is perfectly portioned. If you want to get started with HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash Bump14 and use code Bump14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. 
That's HelloFresh.com slash Bump14 and use code Bump14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. We're haunted by the great taste of HelloFresh. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. So you started doing the tour guide thing in New Orleans. When did you start doing that? I have now been an official tour guide about three years. And there came a point with Airship Isabella. We had done all of the leather for AMC's TV show, the hit show Into the Badlands. And there had come a point with the company that in order to go forward as a company, we knew we would have to either move to Atlanta or move to Los Angeles. And my wife and I made the decision that we were not willing to leave New Orleans, that this was our home. We had found our place. And I knew as well as she did, we knew in our heart of hearts that if we didn't go to Los Angeles or Atlanta, that was pretty much going to be all she wrote as far as being able to make a living building for the TV and movie industry. One, my wife has a degree in history. I'm a huge history nerd. And plus the stuff with the paranormal, I was like, oh, let's, well, we can go, you know, give ghost tours. And so we got our license as tour guides, and it's just developed from there. And the beautiful thing now that I'm thankful for every day is I've now gotten together with a company that is willing to push the paranormal tourist thing a little bit farther, to be able to give everyday people a chance to have just a little bit of a taste of what we as investigators do on a, you know, a weekly basis. Well, I know that for me, I've done, I don't know, I, maybe about 200 ghost tours that I've been on at this point. So saying that you are my favorite, that's kind of the comparison that you're getting here. That's, that's just how good well, Cedric thank is. You. <laughs> and it's because, like you said, you have this love of history and it's reality too. So it's like, I'm going to tell you the real ghost stories that are going on here. I'm not going to make up a bunch of stuff. There's nobody jumping out to scare you. And so I trust you along those lines, plus with the background that you had, too. Like you said, when you're talking to a police officer and they're telling you about an unexplained experience they have, they have a little bit more credibility just because they have a lot to lose by putting that out there. Yeah, even so, even talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, this guy was in the military. He's been a firefighter medic. So if he's having these kinds of experiences, he's probably the real deal with it. And so I, I just love the way that you present everything because you're a really good storyteller, too. Because, you know, there's oh, some people you. who could just be like, dot, dot, dot. Well, this happened here, blah, 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 and then move on. So you tell a really good story, too. But that's kind of how I, I cut my teeth on investigating is occasionally on a ghost tour, they take you inside somewhere and say, oh, we've got a little EMF here that everybody can carry around. And it was just doing that that I went, you know, I, I really want to start some other stuff. And then I was on one tour here in Orlando, and it was the first time I'd ever seen the flashlight, quote unquote, experiment used mm -hmm. other than on TV. And when it started like answering the questions, turning on and off when he was asking it to, I'm starting to look around the bar that we were in going, OK, how do they have this rigged? But that made me want to do it myself. And so then when yeah. it happened for us the first time, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is the real deal. And so I think it's great that you're going to introduce people to that because it gives it a little bit more legitimacy because when people see it on TV, they're like, is that really happening or are they just making that up? Exactly. And now when it's when it's in front of you, when the hardcore skeptic goes through their list of their internal questions and those internal questions all get ticked off. OK, it's not this. It's not this. It's not this. It's not this. 
then they've got to open up their horizons a little bit, say, okay, if it's not this, then, then what is it over here? And I think the paranormal community, we can do nothing but grow and get better as a community as we get more people and, and more ways of looking at things and different perspectives. And I think as long as we don't fall into the pitfall of being, oh, well, we've been here for this many years and we're the biggest team on the planet and yada, 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 yada. And we're not going to listen to you because you're a newbie. I think that's a huge pitfall that we don't need to fall into. And if I have anything to do with it, the NOPE team in here in New Orleans, we won't do that because that person who's never been on a paranormal investigation, who has, who is interested in it, might have a point of view or see something that us as veterans have overlooked. And what they see is a key to opening some answers to all these questions we've been hunting. Well, I don't know about you and Evie, but I know for Kelly and I, I never get bored with an experience. It, it mm -hmm. doesn't matter how many times I've watched the EMF light up or catch an EVP or something. It's just like, wow, that was so cool. And it's like, well, that's happened many times. So aren't you getting kind of like, oh, it's old hat. It just never gets that way for me. No, and I, and, and I tell, you know, I tell my guests that all the time. I'm like, they don't tell you on the TV shows. One thing I do point out is like on the TV shows, they give you 30 to 45 minutes of the really exciting stuff. What they don't give you that I wouldn't trade for anything on, on the planet, they don't give you the other six hours that we don't have anything going on that we're telling dad jokes over the radio because we're waiting for <laughs> exactly. something to happen. I'm really good with dad jokes, by the way. I have four daughters. You, can, you get real good at dad jokes. They don't show that to people. They also don't show the excitement that runs. The, even the, the chills that go down your spine went, okay, okay, there is something here. Okay, there's that person, there's that person. Then who is standing behind me? Yeah, there's with their hand on new, my shoulder. There's always you know? a new experience. And even if you've quote unquote experienced it before, it's still something new and different. Yeah. And it, it'll get you going every single time. So, Cedric, I know you've worked with a lot of different equipment. I think you've probably built some yourself. What is your favorite piece of equipment for investigating? <sighs> Tell you honestly, one, the digital voice recorders I enjoy, the EVPs, that is still something that I can't wrap my brain on how on, on debunking it. When we've got the, you know, the SP eleven or the SP seven and you're spinning through radio frequencies that fast and in reverse, and then you get intelligent responses to your your questions. That to me, that's a big one for me because we're communicating, we're talking. That's that's a huge first step. For me, doing EVP sessions, having this SP11 or SP7 going is probably my favorite piece of kit I enjoy. There's an app that I've been using since it came out called Necrophonic that a crew out of California built and designed to be used on our phones that we've had great experience with. I use it on every investigation. And then, of course, I mean, everybody goes back to the K2s when things with the, you know, the K2. It's, it's one, it's great for finding anomalies but it's also really great for finding logical reasons like oh we're in new orleans this is a 200 year old home that has unshielded electrical lines look what happens when i put the k2 next to the light plug sure <laughs> it goes you know it, it, it pegs nice. out doing evps and the evp and now don't get me wrong sitting for 12 hours listening to 12 hours of audio <laughs> from six recorders is probably not my funnest time on the planet but when you do get that grab 
that's when my blood starts to race. It's like, okay, listen, tell me what you hear. And you, especially if you're lucky enough and you pull out a class A EVP where there is no way you're going to miss what this thing says. And we have a couple, I mean, they're on my laptop out of charity hospital cemetery. We, you can hear us asking, hi guys, is there anybody else? We used to take tour groups into charity and you very distinctly hear a, a male voice come across the SP 11 says, hi, Cedric. Oh, that is just like, so oh, cool to have so. your name said. And that's one of the things with being a tour guide. Keep in mind where most investigators get to go to a place maybe once or twice if they're lucky, if it's out of town. The places that we're going here in New Orleans, we're there every single night. Sure. And so, you know, we're telling the LaLaurie story. We're telling the Jacques St. Germain story, um, the provincial story. Um, when I was doing the bus tours, we were going out to charity and out to the mass pit graves every single night. So one, you're bringing a big group of tourists there that is a bunch of batteries for paranormal activity to feed off of and their energy. And those spirits that are attached to that area, they get to know us and they, they, they know your name. Do you have a favorite haunt in New Orleans? As far as, you know, activity-wise... And experiences I've had would have to be Charity Hospital Cemetery, where the Katrina Memorial is located. That's just at the end of Canal, down in the cemetery district of the city. You have the Katrina Memorial there. Uh, around the Katrina Memorial are the uh, above-ground tombs for the unknowns of the Katrina disaster. And then back through a little pathway through the bushes is the historical site where all the mass pit graves were located for the countless number of outbreaks and epidemics that you know came across and just wiped this city clean. And so they estimate historically you're looking at 150 to 155,000 individuals interred in those pits. Wow. These are human beings that were buried with no name. There's hardly any records that they were there or they existed. A lot of them got sick, fell asleep, or passed out, and never woke up. So if there is a reason for spirits to remain afterwards, that would be a real good one. And I'm not a big, huge proponent that spirits hang around cemeteries. I don't believe all cemeteries are haunted. But when you're dealing with mass pit graves, I think that's a little bit different than a normal cemetery because you're dealing with, with entities who some of them don't realize they're dead. Some of them died so quickly they're confused. Or they're just looking for somebody to remember that they ever existed at all. Yeah, it's that not being buried properly, whether it's you know a religious service done for them or just giving them a headstone. Yeah, knowing that they were there. Yeah, and the, the charity hospital one is one that, that gets me every time I go out there. Like I said, I have my name called out there. I've been scratched out there. There's a couple of more feminine energy entities out there that I I think because I, every time I go, I'm out and around. Of course, you guys know since you've seen me, I have my fangs and I'm part of the vampire subculture. Um, I like to joke it takes the dark to hunt the dark. But the night I got scratched, Evie asked, why did you scratch Cedric? And it came across the spirit box. I'm, I mean, clear as day, female voice said demon. And, it, and my thought wasn't, okay, that was a demon that scratched me. My thought was whatever that entity, that spirit is, thinks I'm a demon. Exactly. Yeah. Because they see the fangs. Right. I thought that was interesting, too. It's like, okay, there's enough perception there that they're able to recognize that there are human beings here. But that one there has sharp, pointy teeth. What's up with that? 
So that leads into, you know, a thousand other more questions. Kelly, what's fun is the first time we went on a tour with Cedric, it was, COVID was just starting to kind of peter out a little bit, but we still had all the mask mandates going on. So we were all masked up, so we couldn't really see each other's faces much. And when we went the second time, we didn't have to have masks anymore. And it was like, oh, wow, Cedric's got vampire teeth. And <laughs> although you had a very cool mask that you had made to go with your costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had the, the, the bone jaws on the, on the mask. Yeah, I can't leave anything not decorated. It's a it, it's a bad thing. Your entire outfit is just amazing. I love it. Now, do you have well, a variety you. that you wear? You change it up? Because I thought you were uh, doing something different in December versus our last trip there. Yeah, the har- my harness and my belt and everything is in the skulls. Chad and Karen are with me almost all the time. The only thing that changes is due to the temperature, what I'm wearing, you know, as the undergear, whether I look like the Stay Puft Marshmallow or like right now where I'm wearing a kilt because it's <laughs> so bloody hot outside. Right. The one place you guys didn't get to go, and the next time you guys come into town, I'll take you guys, or even if I have to do it, just just me, is the site of the June 24th, 1973 Upper Lounge Fire. That happened oh. here in New Orleans. That, up until the Pulse shooting, was the largest murder of gay men in the continental United States till Pulse. And no, a lot, not a whole lot of people know about it. And one of the things I made my personal, my personal thing was to get that story out as, as far and as loud as I possibly could. And on top of the fact, some of, those, some of that energy, those energies of those individuals are still on the second floor where the fire happened. And they, they're terrified to cross over. We've had a couple mediums who have tried to work with them and convince them it's okay for you to cross over. And they're still there. They, they're, they're terrified of crossing over to the other side. Well, that makes me sad. Very cool to see that in person because something that was very special for us is last year in March of 2020, we were actually in New York City because we'd been nominated for an award for one of our episodes. And it was entitled, It's a Haunted Gay Life. And that was one of the locations that we featured on that one because it was this gay bar and it also has haunts that are connected to it and it's one of those stories like you said not a lot of people have heard about it and it's just terrific where you have a guy who basically sets this bar on fire that's upstairs so it's hard to get out of it and there were bars on the windows and 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 then to also see how society in 1973 addressed that issue and there's no words for the level of like i guess i can't even come with a word putting those images on the front page of the times Picune newspaper the the churches refusing to do memorial services for these individuals when we moved here and i came across the story of the upper lounge fire and then both as a paranormal investigator but also as a former firefighter and I started reading it, I was horrified. It's like, okay, why have I never heard of this? And then I started dating more. It's like, hey, why has nobody else ever really heard of this? And so that was the point. It was like, no, this story needs to be known. It needs to be told because there's still 15 of those individuals who died that night who are buried in a mass pit grave in our Potter's Cemetery here in New Orleans. And there's no marker. Nobody, nobody mm-hmm. knows they're there. I didn't realize that. So yeah, sad. and because nobody, their families wouldn't wouldn't claim them. They were too embarrassed to claim them. Oh wow! And that that rips my guts out every time. Every time I I hear it and think about it, but somebody needs to be their voice. That was my big deal. And there was one night I was there at the site of the fire. It's right above the Jamani Bar, 
Jemani Bar was the same bar that was there that night on the first floor. I was telling the story of the upper lounge fire. And there was a trailer separating me and this other group of individuals. And I noticed that while I was giving the story that this lady keeps looking around. She's looking at me. And, of course, your first thought is, okay, I'm up. So I'm, I'm, I'm making somebody mad. This is about to, I'm about to get you know growled at for, for having tourists over here or whatever. And I got through the story. And all of a sudden, this lady comes walking up. She has tears in her eyes. I was like, oh, what'd I do? She goes, and she told me, she goes, I just want to tell you, I am the current pastor for the MCC, the Metropolitan mm -hmm. Community Church. And she goes, I just want to tell you, thank you, because none of the other tour guides will come here and tell this story. I had to walk away. It was, it was like, woof, okay, hold on. I need, I need to go oh, compose myself a for a second. Give me a minute. <laughs> well, and even though this was a bar, the MCC would meet there. Their group yep. would go there and stuff. So a lot of the church people were there that died. There was one uh, lady who perished in the fire. The only reason she was there that night was she was supporting her two gay sons. Mm -hmm. And both of them mm -hmm. perished in the fire as well. There's the story, and I don't have the names memorized, and I apologize, but there's the story of one gentleman who made his way out of the second floor through the window, found out that his partner had not been seen, that they believed his partner was still inside. So he turned around, went back into the building and perished, and they found the two of them embracing and holding each other where they died from smoke inhalation or, or heat, but they, they died holding each other. Mm -hmm. um, those are the kind of stories that need to be told. Absolutely. If we as investigators can be the voice for history, that's huge. And that's one of the reasons we, I, I know for me, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. Well, and that's what I love about ghost tours, because when you go on a history tour, generally you just get the, a lot of the textbook stuff that you would normally hear in school or wherever. But when it comes mm -hmm. to the ghost tours, it's like everything is open to it. So you're going to get the seedy side, the stuff that maybe the city doesn't want to talk about, and it, it opens up these channels of communication as well. And so that's why I've always just loved ghost tours. I'm like, if I'm going to go somewhere, that's the first thing I look for, then I might do a historical tour too. Like, you know, we go to New Orleans, and I'm definitely doing at least one ghost tour, if not two. And then, okay, I'll go over and do the garden tour, you know, over in the garden district or something. Mm -hmm. day. But yeah, I just, that's what I love about ghost and tours. There's, you know, that's, that's a, you know, in other places, there used to be Garden District ghost tours, but people don't want to talk about that over there. That's not what those people over there, they don't want tourists coming through knowing about their ghosts. They want to talk about their, their, their highfalutin mansions and their pinkies in the air and that sort of thing. And if you show up as a ghost tour guide, they are going to be mad eyeing you the entire time you're there. Trust me, Ben, they've done that. Um, <laughs> Not Understood. that I could really care less. <laughs> I just turn around and hiss at them and walk away. Um, I love it. <laughs> when uh, the pandemic kicked off, we'd started doing Fright Night NOLA. We were doing a video series, you know, trying to figure out how we were going to survive the pandemic financially, not being able to walk tours. And some of the stories we did over in the Garden District while we were filming, yeah, we were getting glared at from the neighbors. It was awesome. <laughs> I guess I'm in your neighborhood. Get over it. Love it. When you've been investigating, you've told us, you know, about one of the most moving experiences you've had. Have you ever had what you would coin as your scariest experience? Yeah, the most scariest one, I think, that got me to rethink how I did things. We did the Anston Opera House in Anston, Texas. And that one, myself and a fellow lead investigator with our sister team, we were down in what we called the pit. And it was the, the door coming off the street was in front of us. So the side was a locked office with no exterior entry. 
and then a stairwell going up. So we're in this pit with this stairwell going up. Our teams, including Evie, are on the stairwell going up. And Evie was had the, the video, one of the video cameras at the time and a digital thermometer. And I'm not proud of it, and I'll admit it. It was back when I used to do a certain type of instigating at midnight. <laughs> I'm not happy about it, but I did. Don't hold that against me. We all grow. Uh, <laughs> so we would start, and we started at like midnight, and we started instigating. And Jay and I just, we went off and started, you know, you'll attack females, but you won't attack us. Why don't you, you know, the whole come at me bro thing, as much as I hate to admit it. And... Oh, it came at us. It uh, The temperature we caught on video, the temperature dropping about 30 degrees in a matter wow. of about 10 seconds to the point Jay and I could start seeing our breath down in the pit. All of a sudden, the door to this secluded office where there was no outside access to this office at all. We know for a fact that that office was cleared. There was nobody in there. It was secured and locked. All of a sudden, something hits that door three times so hard, we actually watched this wood-framed, almost it had metal in it as well, kind of bow out each time the hit came down. And there was just this overwhelming feeling of if whatever is in that room comes through that door, Jay and I are dead. And it was, that's the feeling we got, that whatever was sitting on the other side of the room was pushing out, I want to kill you. I was like, okay, got our answer. Have a nice night. We're out of here. Bye. And up the <laughs> stairs we went as I'm apologizing as I'm running up the stairs. And that was pretty much the night, that and one other incident that I stopped doing that type of, of instigating where it was the come at me, bro kind of thing. And I'm a huge, now I, I'm completely the other side of the coin of there's no reason to do that type of instigation. All you're doing is insulting the spirits. If they are what we think they are, which is just human beings, you're walking into their area and trying to pick a fight for absolutely no reason. So I had to do a little growing, and I did, but... <laughs> Brought a change of underwear next time? <laughs> yeah, no, it was... Uh, and it's one of the things now, when guests, I'm like, do you instigate like a certain individual on a certain very popular TV show? I won't mention any names, but uh, it's like, no, that's excruciatingly insulting. It's also excruciatingly dangerous. Um, because we don't know what we're challenging. Yeah, you know, you're yelling, agree. you're yelling, come at me, bro. And then all of a sudden you're taking this stuff home to your family and you get all surprised when now you're starting to have activity in your home. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? Sure. <laughs> you know, like I said, not proud of it, but yeah, we all have to have to grow and learn. And I did, so I don't do it no more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very polite now when I, I, I can, I can still get you know, the, the evidence that I want to get, but I don't need to go in there with the come at me, bro. And that's also, I mean, that's led to me, the come at me, bro has gotten me thrown across the room before mm, um, at a particular investigation. Uh, I got scratched and for a half a second, forgot where I was at. And I got mad because anybody who hasn't had an, a run in with the paranormal activity like that, where you've been scratched or something like that, you're attacked. And it's an assault and you want to bow up. You want to defend yourself. You want to fight back. And I forgot where I was and that there was what we believe are non-human entities there. And yeah, well, it showed me who was in charge and it definitely was not me because I mean, I, who the fuck? And that's about as far as I got out of my mouth before I'm flying through the air. Wow. So I tell people when, you know, coming across dark entities, I don't like throwing the D word around a whole lot. But coming across dark entities doesn't happen as much as everybody would like to think it does. But when they do and you come across something that's non-human, it's time to take a step back, 
show a little bit of respect, just back off. And, and I think for a lot of teams at that point, you're out of, you're, you're, you're out of the shallows. You're now into the deep end where the big, you know, where big things hunt and you might want to call him for some, some bigger guns. One of the creepiest places that you took us on the tours that we've done is the provincial. And I don't think a lot <laughs> of people have heard of this hotel. Will you tell them a little bit uh, about the, the history and such? The pr- Oh, the Provincial Hotel. See, this is a double-edged sword, me telling you guys this story, because if your listeners hear it now, then they're not going to want to stay there, and I won't get the guys watching the color drain out of their face when they go on my tour and realize we're getting ready to talk about where they're sleeping. Huh. Anyway, okay, no, Yeah, I was going to say, unfortunately, um, our listeners probably would book a room, so they'd already know ahead of time. So maybe they would get uh, really excited when you start talking about it. Exactly. Uh, They'll be taking so, okay. notes as to what rooms they need to stay in. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> Building number five. Building five, it's actually a couple buildings. The thing we know today is the Provincial Hotel started out its life. It's, it's actually made up of five individual buildings. The hotel itself became a hotel in 1969. Before that, there had been different multiple buildings on the site. The main building that we normally talk about on the tour that has a primary amount of activity is building number five. Building 5 was originally a site of one of New Orleans' very first military hospitals. And this would be the hospital for the War of 1812, the Battle of New Orleans, as well as almost through the entire run of the Civil War. Being down here in the South and on top of that being a union, once because the, the city of New Orleans fell to the Union in 1862, being a union-run hospital, any of the casualties that were coming in from the fights going up and down the Mississippi would come into the city of New Orleans. Those guys that get a chance to go on my tour get to experience, and I don't pull any punches, as you guys well know. Um, I walk my guests through what an amputation would have been like in the 1860s. I tell them what that young man just experienced, losing that limb or the, the horror of battle. That was in the footprint of the place where a whole bunch of people tonight are going to be laying their heads on pillows and trying to go to sleep, and that energy is still there. Uh, the Provincial Hotel, Building 5, we've had guests report seeing full-blown Civil War hospital scenes to the point that they're able to give descriptions of individuals, doctors and nurses, that were able to find photographic evidence that that doctor and nurse was at that hospital um, when there's no way that, that that guest should have that information. Blood on bed, blood on floors, blood running down walls. Furniture shaking, moving, moving. Um, we've done an investigation. We rented a couple rooms on, in Building Five. Brought in the uh, the SLS camera, the Connects camera. I'm sure you guys have played with them, using the old Xbox Connects, using uh, stick figures that you can get showing up. Yep. We've put that into operation there, and I've got to track down the video. I know it's on a hard drive because I, the computer crashed that it was on, but I have a video of us in Building Five where you see myself sitting there, the camera's on me and shooting where you can see me and my laptop and the image that the camera, the other, the SLS camera's picking up. Um, all of a sudden, on my right shoulder, it got excruciatingly cold. And so Evie hits it with the thermometer. There's about a 20-degree temperature drop right around my shoulder. And then on my shoulder, you see in the SLS camera, a stick figure show up, a little small one. And you hear me say, okay, if that's you, can you see yourself in this this box right here? And you see the stick figure kind of lean over a little bit, look into the box. I said, if that's you, raise your hand and wave your hand. So I waved at the screen. All of a sudden, you see the stick figure bring its hand up and wave it. I was like, okay, that is so cool. 
Then building number two, which I think what we were experiencing with the SLS camera is I think was bleed over from building two. Building two was the site of an orphanage back up into the fire 1788. And some individuals died uh, because of the fires. And now there's some kids that haunt building two predominantly, but they also will bleed over into building number five. Had a couple girls a couple nights after y'all's tour when you guys went out. Uh, had three young ladies, went through my tour, and ended up getting a new hotel about an hour after my tour. <laughs> target, target destroyed because oh, no. they were staying in building number two. And the night before, they had told me they thought there were just really bad parents staying in the hotel room above them because at 3.34 o'clock, they could hear what sounded like children running back and forth across the ceiling in the hotel upstairs, and they thought, they were, okay, there's just bad parents up there letting their kids run around at 3 o'clock in the morning. They told me that they could even hear their giggling and hear them talking to each other, and that when they called the concierge desk to ask the concierge to, to, to complain, concierge told them there was no kids staying in the hotel currently at that particular time. That's the so, building I want to stay in, is number two. I made note of that when, when we took your tour. <laughs> And then right around the corner from that, the other one you guys need to stay in next time you come down is right around the corner on Ursuline, which I, I walked you guys by. I didn't get, get a chance to take you guys down there, is the Via Cavento Hotel. Via Cavento, Villa Cavento is, if you remember, 1962, a song by the animals called House of the Rising Sun. Yes. The Via Cavento is the House of the Rising Sun. Okay. Um, became a uh, brothel in the uh, closing days right after the Civil War when the economy here in New Orleans was completely destroyed. And to this day, they, we still believe that there is a madam who hunts uh, the Via Cavento. Uh, we have multiple reports of adults being in their hotel rooms doing adult things, <laughs> air quotes, hearing a bang on the door, hearing a female voice yell 10 minutes, open the door and there's nobody out there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> If the young gentleman decides that he's just going to keep, they're just going to keep going about their adult activities and goes past that 10 minutes, men have reported seeing a black haired lady come out of nowhere. All of a sudden she's standing there next to the bed. They get pushed off onto the floor and the young ladies that they're with never even see her. Wow. That is cool. Yeah. So apparently there's still a madam there who is, you know, Time's Here's, up. This is this is our time scale. <laughs> time is money. Let's go move on. Uh, kind of thing. There's also stories of guests being in their hotel room and hearing what sounds like newlyweds in the hotel room next to them, and then they go down to the concierge desk to either complain or tell them congratulations, to only be told that that room is under construction, and then have them being taken up to the room where they heard those sounds all night long. Have them open up the door and the room is under construction and there's an inch of construction dust over everything and nothing is touched. So, yep, that's the Via Convento Hotel. That's got some crazy stuff going on too then. Oh, yeah. Come on down to New Orleans. We got a bunch of crazy places for you to stay. Nowhere safe. <laughs> well, I know we stayed in the Andrew Jackson Hotel when we stayed there ah, the first love time. The Andrew ja- in fact, we're setting up an investigation uh, here probably in the next couple of weeks. We'll be doing a full-blown investigation in the Andrew Jackson. Oh, nice. Very cool. It was, so. such a, it was a neat setting just because it is so old and we got a little bit of activity while we were there, but I, I have to admit we uh, partook of 
a few hurricanes and so our <laughs> was a little bit I was like, I'm not playing back anything we recorded in the room because I was slurring half the things I was saying. <laughs> True story. Spirits spirits of chase spirits. Exactly. <laughs> yes. We had never had hurricanes before, so <laughs> we that, had to try that'll do it. <laughs> now now you understand why locals just shake their head and grin when everybody comes walking by with their hurricanes. I'm like, yeah, you have fun with that. <laughs> yeah. Pretty soon you're not gonna be walking. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, the Andrew Jackson's got some, one, you've got the, the children's spirits that are there. And the main report that a lot of guests end up with is the pictures showing up on their cameras, on their phones, when they didn't take those pictures. In fact, they're pictures of them sleeping, oh. except the picture's not taken from the foot of the bed. <laughs> the picture's taken from six to seven, maybe eight feet up in the air, looking down at the person sleeping that owns the camera. And uh, then in the morning, they find their camera across the room. I'm not really available for that, I don't think. Yeah, don't take pictures of me <laughs> while I'm sleeping. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty open to a lot of things, but <laughs> seeing that later. <laughs> you know, I was a skeptic of that one until Evie and I had a friend of ours. They came into town. They stayed there at the Jackson and... Seven o'clock in the morning, I am getting a very animated text message and phone, my phone is exploding. And sure enough, she had set her cam her phone on the nightstand like all of us do. Set it down next to your glasses or whatever to charge. And she said she woke up in the morning, phone was across the room. She walked over, looked at it, noticed that the camera app itself was on. She looked at her, her photos, and there's a picture of her sleeping, and it's from the roof line looking down. And she was the only one in the room all night, and she knows that the room was locked all night long. Wow, that's crazy. Can you imagine if they had buttery fingers and dropped it? Right it. <laughs> oh, sorry. All of a sudden, you're asleep, and you catch you know, your cell phone in the forehead. That's just rude. <laughs> oh, no. That's just rude. It yeah. is rude. <laughs> that's when the sage comes out. That's just rude. Yeah, you have <laughs> to save the room after that. No more of that. You can take a picture, but don't drop the phone on me when I'm sleeping. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we've got, you got the Andrew Jackson. You've got, I mean, there's just so many hotels in here. The uh, the Monteleone, the, uh, hopefully we'll be doing an investigation of the Monteleone, the 14th floor, which is actually the 13th floor. There is La Polvion, which is excruciatingly haunted. That's a high-end pinky-in-the-air kind of hotel. But yeah, no, there, and that's the thing with, with being a tour guide in New Orleans is, when you go on our tours, it doesn't matter which company you go with, they've all got, you know, exceptional guides taking the guests out. You're only getting four, maybe five, six of the stories that are here in the city because the, the companies go to all of the popular hotspots. There are so many stories just in the quarter. We're not even talking about the Garden District or Uptown or, you know, Metairie or the Marigny. There are so many stories we don't get to. Go I mean, you guys, we, I walked you guys right past um, La Petite Theater coming up St. Peter Street when the first time you went with us. And that's just not one of the ones that's on our tour. And that is probably one of the most haunted theaters in the country. Oh, wow. And keep in mind, anybody who knows me knows to make when I make that statement, what it says, because I don't, you know, I've always been a, okay, how do you know this is the most haunted place in this city or most haunted place in this? And what's our criteria for this competition? But the La Petite Theater, as far as in your face, aggressive spirits and the stories from the years of its being open, 
pales to a lot of, I mean, a lot of places pale to the, the La Petite Theater. And I still can't understand, I just still don't understand why none of the companies talk about it, why it's uh, the story's just not told. So fine, I'll tell it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure, if they're not going to touch it. Well, and the thing that's yeah. hard when you're in a place like New Orleans is picking and choosing because every other building has got something going on. So it's like, what do we touch on? What do we skip? And that's and that's the thing. There is just so much, so many stories in there. It's, you know, we've only got a very finite amount of time to take you guys on a journey and, you know, hour and a half to two hours. And as you guys experience, that time goes by quick when you're trying to get into telling these stories and doing them justice. And even the Lollary Mansion. I mean, we go through the Lollary Mansion 10, 20 minutes you're not touching that story. There's so much to that story and so much behind the scenes and you just, you don't have enough time to, to cover it on the tour. And all I can hope for is like with you guys that I give you just enough of a gateway. I'm a paranormal drug dealer. That's what I am. I give you just <laughs> enough of the drug to get you interested, to hook you, to get you to come back. And it works. So see, I did my job. You did your job quite well, <laughs> I might add. <laughs> Well, what's really cool is you're going to be here in Florida in September when we do yep. our live show and we have the ghost hunt that we're doing at the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And you're going to be joining us for that. And it's just going to be so much fun because we're going to have a lot of people that I have a feeling have never done any kind of ghost hunting before. Oh, and that's always so, fun. Yeah. So we've got some newbies that are going to be fresh for all kinds of stuff. And I've been to the St. Augustine Lighthouse probably about six, seven times now. I've investigated it three or four times, and it never disappoints. There's always something that happens there. Evie and I are so stupid excited about this trip, uh, getting to come out there. And it'll be the first time we've hunted outside of the the borders of Louisiana since before the pandemic. So it'll be our first time going out of state since the, the lockdowns. And we're stupid excited about it. I've already started checking gear and putting, you know, getting gear ready. And Evie just raises an eyebrow. I mean, I'm like, yeah, no, it's for the investigation next week. She's like, no, you're getting stuff ready for, for going out with Kelly and the guys at <laughs> St. Augustine. I know what you're doing. It's like, Leave me alone. <laughs> I love it. We're going to have so much fun. And like you said, that's one of the fun part. The fun thing is sitting there with a group of, you know, brand new people who are just getting into the paranormal and then watching them have an interaction and occasionally get that one you've got to grab by the collar and keep them from running out of the room. It's like, mm -hmm. no, no, it's okay. It's okay. No, no sit down. You're all right. Breathe through it. You're okay. <laughs> Again, every time I think about it or talk to you guys about it online, it just gets me more and more excited about it. I'm so looking forward to it. Well, Cedric, we really appreciate you joining us. As we said, guys, it's it's an honor. Um, what I didn't get to tell your listeners is, and I I kind of told you guys just a little bit is Evie and I go to when when we go to bed at night, um, we have the speaker next to the bed and we're listening to y'all's uh, podcast, you and uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories. That's what we go to sleep to at night is laying down, listening to y'all's podcast. Your soothing voices slink us off to sleep. Um, <laughs> no, we're a huge fan of you guys. Trust me, getting a chance to come hunt with you guys is going to be me fanboying over you and the guys from Hill, Hillbilly Horror Stories. Well, you are too kind, but we are huge fans of yours. And, you know, before we wrap everything up, is there anything that you want to share about your tours, your investigation group. Let's yeah, do especially because I know our listeners are going to want to go on a 
tour yeah. with you specifically when they're exactly. in New Orleans. When you get a chance, come down to New Orleans. I am walking now with legendary walking tours. We've got a bunch of, we've got a ghost bus that's getting ready to go live where we'll be doing cemetery tours outside of town. We have got it cleared. In fact, I'm sitting here typing while talking to you guys. We're going to be doing 941, the the bank building you guys were in where you met up for our private tour. That is an old, almost 200-year-old bank building. It's haunted. There is entities up on the second floor that employees, other tour guides, we've talked to, you know, talked about having run-ins. We're going to be doing a special thing where guests can come in. They'll take an hour, hour 45 tour, just like you guys did. Then they get about a 15, 20 minute break to grab a drink or something to eat, you know, take a breather. And then they dive off into a four hour investigation in 941 Decatur. And they'll get to come into town as tourists and get a chance to do what they see some of us do on TV and get a chance to do an invest and be part of an investigation of an actual haunted bank. So that is something we're putting together right now, getting the logistics worked out and that sort of thing. That's also the same building as I was saying when we first started. That is going looks like it's going to become the headquarters for Nope for the New Orleans Paranormal Explorers. Um, we'll be doing our podcasts out of there, our videos out of there, and it'll be a place for us to store our equipment. On top of the fact it's excruciatingly haunted, I couldn't ask for anything better than that. And also having bosses who are like, yeah, sounds cool. Go do it. Let me know if you need anything. Very, oh, you shouldn't have done cool. that. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah, any of your guests, any of the listeners, when you come into town, these guys have my contact information. Um, please, I'd love to take you guys out. One of the big things with all of our, our guides is that we're ambassadors to the city. And we're not only ambassadors for the city of New Orleans, but we're ambassadors for the history of New Orleans. And every one of the guides loves this city. This, you know, Most of us weren't born here, but we're New Orleanians. This is our town. Anybody who comes to town wants to touch the paranormal, wants to take a walk in the shadows with a living life, you know, living vampire. Give me a call. I'll take you and show you show you a little bit of my world. And he won't bite you too hard. Nah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cedric, for joining us. Thank you, guys. It, it, like I said, it's an honor, y'all. Have a great night. All right, Chuck. Have a good night, guys. Good night to everybody out there. You guys be safe. Bye-bye. Thanks, Cedric. That was so much fun talking with Cedric Kelly. I know. He's a kick. And it, it's so neat because, you know, when you go there and you've been on the tours with him and you can envision all these different places where he's talking about and such. And now we definitely want to go see that cemetery that he basically considers to be one of the more haunted places there. Absolutely. I definitely want to get to charity. Absolutely. We may not know until we ourselves are spirits how all of this works, but the questions and the search for answers is interesting and fun. Are any of these places that Cedric talked about haunted? That is for you to decide. And just remember, he's with Legendary Walking Tours in New Orleans. So if you're ever there, that's who you need to set your tours up with. Absolutely. We highly recommend it. And when we go back, we definitely are going to do the one where we can investigate the location where you meet up for the tours. We certainly are. That location is right there on Decatur. And just a couple of shops down from there is the Central Grocery. And that is the place that has the world famous Mufalada. That's where you want to go get your Mufalada when you are in New Orleans, at least according to me. (laughs) <laughs> and then just a little ways down from there, you can grab a nice little beignet. Yes, at Cafe Du Monde. <laughs> so, of course, we'll be visiting again. Such a great, great place to visit. Absolutely. So much more for us to see. 
We'd love for you to see our website, which is at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Megan is one of our listeners in Annapolis. She was thrilled to death that we were talking about the taverns there. And she's the one, I think we read an email from her on the last episode that she was looking forward to visiting the taverns. Indeed. Well, she did that. And she actually shared a bunch of pictures with me and a couple of videos. I have one of the videos up on Instagram. I think I also put it in the Spooktacular crew. You did. Featuring the bedpost that has come through the ceiling at the Ram's Head Tavern. It actually wasn't open down there, but they let her go down and do the video and take pictures. And so that was very cool. Very kind of them. And then she went down to the Middleton Tavern as well and spoke to a bartender down there. And so she wanted to share some of the stories that she had heard from him. She said, we are actually at Middleton Tavern now and got some stories from the bartender. He's scared of the upstairs. He said he was up there around 2 to 3 a.m. cleaning up. Some people left their jackets, so he went to check the pockets to see if there was any ID. As he went to look, he heard someone yell, hey, in his ear. He searched the hole upstairs and couldn't find anyone. He said he ran downstairs after and he refuses to go up now. He also said that they have a lady come in and decorate for Christmas time. She filled the upstairs with nutcrackers. Every morning, he said there would be nutcrackers random throughout the restaurant. So somebody was moving them around. (laughs) So just some, some great personal stories from the taverns there. He wanted to spread the Christmas cheer to the downstairs as well. Yes. We got an email from Sarah. I love your podcast. Since finding it about a month ago, I've listened to it every day to try to catch up. I know you've said not to investigate where you live, but sometimes you don't have to investigate to know your house is haunted and who haunts it. When my grandma went into a nursing home in August 2011, I moved into her house. She died Easter Day 2012. A few months after she died, I decided to get rid of a flower bed in front of the house. It was overgrown and I just didn't want to deal with it. I'm not a gardener. The night after I tore out the flower bed, I woke up to the sound of glass breaking. In my sleepy state, I assumed I dreamed it and went back to sleep. The next morning, I didn't find any broken glass and once again assumed it was a dream. Later that day, however, I opened a cabinet and found one of my grandma's Pyrex baking dishes shattered. That is insane. Yeah, but there's more. Listen, it had exploded in the cabinet in the middle of the night. The dish was on the middle shelf and I found pieces of glass on the top and bottom shelf of the cabinet. Oh, my word. She was not pleased. No. I mean, that's not just like it cracked. I mean, Pyrex exploding in a cabinet. That is amazing. Needless to say, I never messed with another one of my grandma's iris beds again. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame her. So I'd written back to her. Well, she was not happy with you because that does not break easily. And she responded, she definitely was not happy with me. After that, she would knock things over. I once found a vase of flowers on its side. The flowers were on the floor. The vase was empty, but there was no water anywhere. That is bizarre. So she didn't want to make a mess, but she was just getting her point across. Not on the floor or the table. She never broke anything again, though. Wow. So I was like, huh, I wonder where the water went. She said we joked she was thirsty. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) She said she wasn't subtle when she was alive, so I feel like she's just as dramatic now. I have no idea what a ghost would do with water, though. Thanks so much for sharing that, Sarah. We just love hearing from you guys when you have your story. So please send those on in. And we are coming up on October and we love to share some longer listener stories. I mean, I do it all year long, but we definitely specifically on the Halloween episode like to share your haunting experiences. So if you have those, please send them in. Also, Kelly, it's that time of the year again. We are coming up on the seventh anniversary for History Goes Bump. Awesome. I love our anniversary and I love what we get to do during that time frame. 
Yes. So this is going to be on October 1st. And what we've done for the last six years is held a flash fiction contest. We're doing that again this year. Anyone is eligible to compete? Here are the rules. The deadline is midnight Eastern time, September 6th, 2021. The word limit is a thousand. If you go over a tad, that's fine. But that's why this is called flash fiction, because that's usually about a thousand words or less. Your subject needs to be creepy or scary, something to do with like ghost stories. Please keep it within a lower R rating. So, you know, no gratuitous sex and language and gore and that kind of thing. If it has a little bit, that's fine. But something you wouldn't mind your teenager reading or hearing. Third place winner gets a medal, choice of t-shirt, and your story read on the air. Second place gets a medal, choice of long sleeve t-shirt, your story read on the air. And the first place winner gets a medal, choice of hoodie sweatshirt, and your story read on the air. And we always read a couple of the runner-up stories as well. Yes, we do. So good luck. Send your entries to historygoesbump at gmail.com. We want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Julia Miller for raising your contribution. We're going to be moving you into a chest tomb, so hopefully you're not too rotted. And we want to welcome into the cemetery Christy Grutzner, hope I said that right, Bill Richardson, Teresa Smith, Nancy Doy, and Mandy O'Rourke. All of you are going to be placed into your own individual chest tombs. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. You really do help bring this show to the masses. And thank you for keeping Mort from having idle hands. Our executive producers certainly keep him out of trouble. Yeah, Mort can be a little bit of a mischievous one, so keeping him busy is important. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. And this episode has been brought to you by HelloFresh. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com. Hello. 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 It's Julia. Would you like a little more wine with that? <laughs> a little more wine. A little papier. A little bit for me. Oh boy. <laughs> We've been joined by several tour guides on the pond podcast. And you're kind of doing your little tour guides. Oh, God. <laughs> Tours for tourism. And here, here I thought we weren't going to have any bloopers for this episode because it's just a big old interview. You just don't like the way I say tour. That's how I've always said it. it just, I, it's not that I don't like it. It's just cute because it has that extra little twirl to it. I could just imagine you if you were a, a gentleman, you'd be twirling your mustache while you oh said Lord. tour, guys. Always. I love I open the door. And he stops. It's like he hears the door opening, knows I'm going to holler at him. Watch, when I close the door, oh, he's going to start screaming again.
Kiwi. He goes, Kiwi. He just said his name when I closed the door. Join us as we discussed, discussed, I'm disgusted. It's so disgusting.